0: Welcome to Dragon Talk.
1: Yay! Woo! Hey.
0: This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and you can hear the dulcet tones of Shelly Moo over here. That's right, beating that
2: drum. Boom!
0: Tick-a-boom, boom! 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 Boom!
2: Of Dungeons and Dragons.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to keep it going. but Nope, that's nope. all I got. Yeah, she's like, song over.
2: That's it. Mic drop. No, okay. just kidding, Ryan. I won't drop the mic.
0: <laughs> Ryan would They're be under- mad. They're You can't even
2: drop them. It's Oh, true. well, um, I just got a Teams message from my husband that said, shut up in there.
0: Really? <laughs>
2: Bart. Ah, uh, apparently we're having too much fun on The Official. Are we allowed
0: to say that you two are married?
2: <laughs> oh, that's right. That dirty little secret. <laughs> I kept he it for 11 years.
0: Does not listen to the show. Uh, yep. But he should listen to this episode because it's amazing. We yes, have Aja Jord and Wes Snyder here to discuss Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel, I say discuss, but I feel like they're just going to celebrate it the entire time oh because gosh. it's such a fun, interesting <gasps> anthology book.
2: It's a, it's, it's a great project to talk about be- yeah. just because people who worked on it are very excited about it.
0: They have a smile on their face and you can hear it in their voice, right? Yeah. I have a oh. little
2: bit of FOMO. Like, why didn't I, I get to just stare over Wes's
0: shoulder while he did stuff? I have the same feeling. We, yeah. we have FOMO together.
2: We do, but we now we get to celebrate its upcoming release, so we are kind of involved in that regard. But, but it just seemed like a really, really wonderful experience of putting this beautiful book together. So, yeah,
0: and yeah, yeah. right July 19th, you'll get to uh, have it in your hands through your local game store. There is an alternate copy, which is gorgeous. Uh, and shiny, apparently. told us off mic, yeah, that it was it was very shiny. I have not seen the physical actual alt cover yet, and I can't wait to because it sounds amazing. Yeah. You get that through your local game store on July 19th, but it's also available everywhere uh, with a standard cover and digitally on also that beautiful. date. 14 adventures, 16 locations. Check it all out. You hear all about it in the interview section here. But before we get to that, uh, you get to learn more about how to DM... From oh, someone my gosh. Really I cool.
2: do. I was so excited. Uh Laura Herzbruner is my guest and we're going to talk about creating three-dimensional NPCs because NPCs are actually pretty important and mm. a very good useful tool for us new dungeon masters. But uh I've I've followed Laura on Twitter for a while and she's very uh a wonderful writer and uh very articulate and just has some really great takes on things so I think you'll really like her advice.
0: let's give a little listen okay
2: hey everyone welcome to how to dm I have a wonderful guest today miss Laura Hurst who is a freelance copy editor oh We love editors, game designer, and uh, someone who has worked with lots of publishers, including our very own Wizards of the Coast, um, MCDM, and Together Studios, also uh, very well known in uh, the Dungeon Masters Guild with a ton of supplements there. I know you because I follow you on Twitter, and I love your opinions, I love your thoughts, and I was su- super excited about one thread that you had about creating NPCs, Laura, and that we kind of uh, got uh, in touch after that, and I just knew you would be a wonderful guest today. So thank you so much for joining me.
3: Well, hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And yes, I have many opinions on Twitter and otherwise.
2: Yes, and w- we love that <laughs> about you. Um, but I think you have... I, NPCs is a topic we come back to a lot here uh, because, as I've learned, as a new Dungeon Master myself, NPCs are such a great tool for Dungeon Masters. And I, a lot of times I play in a game and they feel like a throwaway character. Like, they're just here to, like, hand you an envelope and set you on your way or to just, like, point down the road where you should go, but... They could be doing a lot more for your campaigns. And one of the things that I I loved about that whole um, Twitter thread that I read was about giving NPCs more power and more agency. And also, like, just they don't all have to be dudes. Like, you can create. Please, we
3: have enough dudes. (laughs) Give us more not dudes.
2: More not dudes. Come on. Even the villains. And I know a lot of people were like, oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. So today we're going to talk about how Dungeon Masters can create three-dimensional NPCs. And you have some wonderful ideas here. Well,
3: thank you. We will. We'll give it a shot. Yeah, um, and like Shelly said, that thread was really reflecting, its focus was on non-male NPCs. You know, when you have, I think a lot of DMs are really conscious of, hey, we don't just want to have a bunch of dudes going and doing everything. And so they're really good about creating a world that does have female NPCs or non-binary NPCs or disabled NPCs or um, non-white NPCs. And, you know, saying, you know, I want to create a world with those, but I think it's really easy um, to forget to give those NPCs the same level, like you said, power and agency, um, in, you know, in your adventure. So, you know, you might say, oh, well, you know, I have, you know, three girls and two guys that are running the plot. But really, if those, if those two guys are the ones that, um, are really driving the plot and they're the ones that are making the big decisions in the town, or they're the ones that are interacting with the player characters in a meaningful way, just having, you know, that balance of, you know, more diversity on its own isn't isn't really all you need. So I think my first tip, not just for the diversity, but just in general to having memorable thought provoking NBCs is to make sure that you're using tropes and stereotypes to help build them out because we have tropes for a reason. Tropes matter. Um, they help us to I mean, <laughs> they're there because they're beloved thoughts and ideas. And so, you know, go to TV tropes or look at your favorite stereotypes in your Dungeons and Dragons books, but then find a way to put a twist on that and subvert it. So we all love the grizzled old gray wizard with, you know, a big old spell book. But what if you, instead of making him Gandalf, what if you make him a woman in a wheelchair? Um, you know, have a, a sweet scatterbrained scholar, you know, they can't keep track of the glasses. What, you know, <laughs> they don't know what's going on in their life. But what if you make that sweet? Um, scholar into a burly hobgoblin or something that's, you know, just going to put a twist on the typical thing, to, both to make them memorable and to take kind of a step away from the the same books you've always read and the same stories you've always heard. So that's kind of one of my many thoughts.
2: So I think it's that's an interesting one because a lot of times I think people have either been taught, stay away from tropes, like especially, you know, like if, as a writer, like you don't want to keep, you know, going back to the same well, be original, come up with, you know, unique ideas. But in this case, we're actually saying, no, you should actually rely on some of those tropes for exactly these reasons. They're relatable. Um, oh, yeah. Tropes pe- are great. People can, can like, I immediately get what you're, who this person is or, or a little bit about this person because I understand what that trope represents. But also you're saying stereotypes, which I think is like a, a A scary word for a lot of people, especially when they are trying to be more inclusive and have better representation. I think it's okay. You're saying it's it's okay to use. Stereotypes like in you have a
3: stereotypical wizard. If I say wizard, you think Gandalf, you know, that that is a stereotype. That's just kind of how it's going to happen. But say, you know, okay, I have the stereotype. This is a great image that, you know, if I say wizard, it conjures this idea in my players' heads. Now, how can I take a step away from that and think, okay, I've conjured this image in their heads with the word, you know, old wizard or something like that. And now, what can I do to change that? What can I do to mix it up and give this? This touchstone, this cultural touchstone that we all understand and we love and we resonate with, but then take a step away and make it fresh and new. Um, so I don't think tropes and stereotypes are something we need to be afraid of at all.
2: No, they're actually very helpful. I knew this um, this one guy who was like very, very gruff. Uh, I used to work with him and like in meetings, like just like no filter and just not somebody that you would ever like really want to hang out with in real life. People were always kind of fearful of of him. But then we found out that he loves cats and like he always was like talking about his cat and had pictures of his cat and was just like, you could just melt his heart by bringing up cats. And it's like kind of similar to what, when I read this, it's like, oh, like, yes, you are, you know, this like filterless abrupt sort of aggressive person, but you love your cat. And I and yeah. those were like two things that I just I, I just loved,
3: you know, to see together. So it does make and a I more- think Likeable. It actually kind of feeds into another one of the, the ideas that I have as far as, you know, flushing out NPCs, and that's to give them something in common with the, one of your player characters, you know, whether that's if they love these cats or love these dogs, or they collect shiny rocks, or they're afraid of the dark, like, it doesn't matter whether you've got this, you know, big, mean villain, or, you know, the sweet little village healer, like, find find a way to to, to give that person something that's that's relatable with your characters. It doesn't mean that every player is going to like them. In fact, you may want none of your players to like them whatsoever. But find something that that, <laughs> that's something that, that character, that the player character is going to resonate with and be like, oh yeah, I know how you feel about this. Even if I otherwise hate your guts and don't want to have anything to do with you, or if I want to adopt you and make you you know part of our party, either way, you know, what's, what's just a little... They went to the same university back in the day. They, you know, both... Rather, they would rather fight with daggers than great swords. I don't know. Just something that you know you can bring up. It's going to make at least one of your players laugh on and be like, ooh, I remember that detail about this person. That's awesome. It's kind of uh, also the same advice that, well, I mean,
2: just for making connections and friendships in real life, like find that one thing that you have in common. And it's exactly. you know, like, automatically like, like something to talk about, a relationship builder. So,
3: oh D and D is just an extension of real life. Anything we do in D and D is the same as real life. It's Just
2: I know, like the more we talk about it, the more we're like the worlds just keep colliding.
3: These are all these are all life skills. Everything it is. It's, it's not a game. You know, we're learning to adult every time we play it. Exactly. A
2: That's why it's so good for for adults and and children too. Um, okay. And I think, you know, one of the big things that D&D does teach is empathy, and I think a lot of what you're talking about here with creating NPCs also does, you know, help with the the building of of empathy and trust in other characters and players as well.
3: So Exactly. And I think that matters almost more when we're dealing with villains or antagonists. Um, It's really easy to say, I want to create, you know, this wicked cackling witch or something, but get, you know, give, give her something that makes the players inclined to thinking, Oh, this is a person. Um, This is not because you want them to, you know, not want to fight her, but give, giving your villains more layers of humanity, whether or not they're human, but giving them layers of, people they have relationships with and things that they want um, can really help to make it more difficult for the players to fight them and also bring more victory and the sense of accomplishment when they really have vanquished this foe, because they feel like this foe is an actual living, breathing creature rather than just, you know, some guy some you know, on the table trying right. to roll against. The cackling um, witch. Yeah. And, is- and I think the relationships are really helpful, you know, whether this is a beloved barkeep or, you know, the cackling witch or anyone in between to give them relationships with other characters that help not to define them, um, but to give them a place in the world. Um you know maybe they have a toddler and you know this is the cutest toddler you've ever met and you know you meet the toddler on screen and you're forever going to remember that and see someone that had that really cute toddler that wouldn't stop talking or maybe the mayor, the very annoying toddler that wouldn't stop talking depending <laughs> on how you want to do it or maybe they have a sick parent and that's why they work um, a, fel- you know, a rival adventure but the reason they're adventuring is to send coins to the family back home you don't have to show their relationships on screen but just to give the reminder that they're not a single person adrift in an aisle you know in a, in a see of other people but they actually have ties that, you know link them to other people um, maybe they have a feud with somebody that the players already hate you know and so they're automatically going to be like oh well if you have a feud with the big bad that means that we're going to like you a lot um, just to kind of help to tie those in uh, one hesitation not hesitation, that's the word I'm looking for, Uh, thing to be, just thing to be aware of as you're doing that is not to define anyone solely by their relationship to another person. We said that a lot of the times with women that it's easy to define a woman as so-and-so's wife or so-and-so's daughter. And you don't, as you're developing NPCs, want to create like a female character whose only goal in life is to, you know, serve as a foil for this big, you know, this cool dude that you're actually wanting to make the story about. Um, So when I say, you know, include people's relationships. You don't want to give, you want to give them definition outside of those relationships. Um, but just, you know, make them human beings and or non-human beings as the case may be that interact with, yeah. with other people.
2: Yeah. All right. Do you have uh, is there ever a, a case where you could maybe go too far and make your villains too relatable and too likable where we don't want to fight them at all? Like now I know he, who's going to take care of his cat if, we kill this this villain.
3: <laughs> it depends on if you want your story to go off the rails or not. I mean, I don't think there's, you know, one right way that you have to develop your NPCs. You can decide to make everybody so lovable that your players just don't want to fight anyone. Um, but you do want to, assuming that you want to give some element of conflict and a path to... Um, resolving that conflict you want to make sure that there's something strong enough that for the players to stand against but i i think some of the most interesting games i've played as a player have been the ones where there aren't necessarily that black and white like oh this is a person that we have to stop they are definitely evil and there's only one way we can go about that i personally enjoy more of the moral ambiguity and the political you know musings of oh well do we really want to side with them or should we side with the other people instead um So I don't know. Yes and no is an answer to your question. I I do
2: appreciate that when DMs are, you know, a little bit, like you said, ambiguous and like, are we are we supposed to trust this person? Are they coming with us or are they just, you know, sending us off or or is this this an ally? Are they going to turn against us? But how do you um, I I think I, I would would struggle with this as a new dungeon master. I think I would just be like, they're bad. Oh, don't trust it. Like I don't. How do you? How do you parse out information about your NPCs? How do you pace that?
3: Um, that's a good question. I think some of it is distributing information over. T- well, it depends on if you want your players to know right away that they're bad. or not. Sometimes you don't want your players to automatically antagonize and go get, go straight for the big, you know, the big bad. Um, but developing whether they're a villain or not, developing that over time and showing um, just more aspects of their character or lack thereof um, as time goes on can be a a way to cement in the players' minds both that this person continues to exist, but that that they continue to live and to change the environment. So rather than doing like one long narrative where you tell the players everything bad this person has ever done in a single encounter, you know, make sure that that your big bad or whoever it is, is appearing in multiple scenes before you want that big climatic moment. Um, Make sure that they are... Um, affecting things in the world before the big dramatic battle you know if you're if you want them you know six months from now to be facing this person you know make sure that that person you know occasionally will send them a letter taunting them or that you'll appear you'll hear rumors about what that person is doing or something like that and see that along the way I'm not quite sure if that's what you were asking
2: no that that (laughs) 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 and like and you said like make sure that they appear in multiple scenes I'm like oh god yeah that seems so simple and so obvious but uh, yeah I think I it's actually, actually really, good advice
3: <laughs> it's a challenging thing that I see a lot of writers because most of my work is behind the scenes with adventure writers that are you know creating just to be published in you know, like a hardcover book um, and that's something I think a lot of writers struggle with I'll have suddenly this big climatic moment come in the adventure that I'm editing and that person has never appeared on screen before and you're supposed to have you know this grand soliloquy and then come in and stop them yeah and that's you don't really want to do that. Whether or not that person appears on the screen or not, the thought of them needs to be seated in your players' minds over and over for many sessions before that final battle actually happens. Otherwise, they'll be like, well, I guess that happened. Okay, we're done. Rather than they're being like, finally, we have vanquished this one person we've been obsessed with for the, last, for the last year.
2: Right, yeah. That's, yes, again, simple advice, but really good <laughs> advice. Um. All right. And I know we have, uh, there's other, you have other tips here. I want to make yeah, sure I we had, get to them all.
3: The, the one other big point that I come back to is what do they want? You know, every, everyone needs something. Everybody wants yeah. something that drives us both in the short term. Right now I want a nap. That's what I want. Me too. You know, and <laughs> after this interview is over, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. Um, but no. And so, you know, what, what does the NBC want right now that's going to affect their mood? that's going to affect the way they interact with the player characters right now, that's going to affect their actions in the next couple of days, but then also give them a long-term goal. Maybe they want to become mayor of the city, or they want to become an adventurer like you, or they want to be an evil person and take over the world. Um, But both to give them those long-term and short-term goals can really help to inform the way that you are portraying them. I find like a lot of DM advice seems to center around, oh, we'll do an accent this way or, you know, figure out their story that way. But I don't do accents, can't do them to save my life. So I have no advice on that. And I find like the backstory stuff for NPCs often gets thrown out the window the moment the players get a hold of them because players tend to take whatever NPC and plot you have planned and take it a completely different direction. So finding just those few touchstones of understanding who that person is what do they want now? What do they want in the future? Who do they care about going back to the relationship? And what do they have in common with the PCs? Um, Really helps you to not have to worry about the details of remembering what, but rather just understand more of who they are and let that guide all of your improvising from there on out. That's so good.
2: It's really good. I, in our our last couple of minutes here, I want to go back to something else that uh, was part of. I think it was actually part of that same Twitter thread that really got to me. But um, somebody uh, had said, "I I have a hard time." I'm going to paraphrase. I don't remember exactly, but I it's really hard to to represent women. I think that he was saying not not just yeah. specifically non male, but he, I think he's he specifically said women. It's hard as a as a man to you know do that um, realistically um and you had said and again i'm going to paraphrase well then just write her as a human
3: yeah <laughs> like, like if, if you need to, if you need to create every single npc with the name bob if it helps you and write all of them and all of their thoughts and feelings and motivations with the name bob yes <laughs> and then change their names to other things and some of them are men and some of them are not men And I think the same applies with any marginalized group. You know, people say, well, I don't know how to represent disabled people. Well, I think the biggest hang up is you're trying to represent them as disabled people, first and foremost. And that's not the story that you're there to tell. You're there to tell the story of them as human beings. And so I feel like sometimes people feel uncomfortable representing any marginalized group that they're not part of it, just by saying well i don't know what they're like i don't know what their struggles are and no you shouldn't be telling a story about a disabled woman when that's her primary motivation if you don't have life experience like that like that shouldn't be the plot of your adventure is a chronically ill woman trying to find healing from an illness or something like that that's just not something that is it, going to be something you're comfortable in telling and doing well but you can absolutely put a disabled woman in your story and you should because we exist and we should exist everywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, and so looking, and this, when I'm editing adventures, I look at this, I look at the balance of not just, do I have a lot of guys here, or do I have a lot of, you know, people that aren't men, you know, what's, what's the balance of white people versus people of color? What's the balance of, um, you know, straight people versus queer people? How, you don't just want to look at the balance. You want to say, well, who has power? So look at the people in your town that actually have power and make sure that they're not all the white dudes. (laughs) Look at the people in your town that are helping to drive the plot and interact with the characters and make sure that they're not all the white dudes. Um, But you don't have to feel like you have to do something special to depict a woman. Just reflect that she's a human being, right. give her the same motivations that you would anyone else because I happen to have the same kind of motivations as anyone else would, regardless of, you know, my gender identity. Um. So, yeah, I don't know if that kind of gets yes. to of the question. I it can does. say it much more eloquently in a Twitter thread. Well, yeah. you did. Right. And words and writing are my forte.
2: It was... No, that, that's exactly... I just wanted to just to throw that into the mix because I thought, again, that is like, yes, it was... It was it was very articulate and powerful way of just saying, like we're just be human. That's it. That's it. And I think that was um, obviously great advice. Like all of this is. And if people want to read more of your very articulate advice and wonderful opinions, where is the best place for people to find you and follow you?
3: They can find me on Twitter. I post pretty prolifically there. My handle is laura underscore h-i-r-s-b um i'm i also have a portfolio that's linked on my twitter profile basically the best way to find me is on twitter and i kind of live there and everything else stems from there awesome but i have many opinions on npcs and other adventure things on there and they are and also great advice so uh,
2: I knew you would. I knew you would. Um, <laughs> You're <laughs> I, very kind. I can't thank you enough for this. This was like this is this is great. Uh, again, NPCs are such a great tool for for dungeon masters, especially those new dungeon masters. But like, let's make them really memorable. Let's make the, them uh, good uh, part memorable parts of your story. Give them power and agency, and use all of this great advice that Laura has uh, just given us. So. Thank you so much for being here. Well, you're welcome, so Hopefully we get to chat again someday soon. Thank you. Thank you.
0: That's so cool. Well, I now want to know about fourth-dimensional characters as well as fifth-dimensional, maybe even sixth-dimensional characters. Make your NPCs multifaceted Small. like yes. yours. D dice
2: yeah go. So maybe you could be a guest on how to dm and you can talk about your 20 dimensional
0: npcs oh i don't know i don't think <laughs> darn it now you you're it in right it now around. that means they'll just be uh you know perhaps um what's the what's the term uh multiple personality yeah uh disorder although i don't think that's the actual term anymore we got to get Dr. B back on to tell us the actual real term. <laughs> I think it's something different.
2: Oh yeah. We should just get Dr. B back on just because. He should be
0: on a how-to-DM. There you go.
2: Ah, <gasps> yes.
0: Make it happen. In the meantime, we have two amazing guests. Let's get them on the horn to talk about journeys through the radiant citadel. Everyone, let's welcome Wes Schneider and Aja George to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay!
1: <laughs> Thanks
0: for having us, guys. Yeah, for it's being great to be here. here. Very exciting. You two, uh, well, in addition to being amazing, uh, accomplished people. people in your own right, uh, together <laughs> you have worked on... I know, Wes is like, give me more, more. Yes. Um, Keep it coming.
1: <laughs> you guys were the
0: co-leads on... The amazing product journeys through the Radiant Citadel that is coming out very soon uh, from Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, that's the context for this, but you know, I'd love to hear just more about uh, everything that you have been doing uh, in in the world. In addition to all that, but we'll start with D anD D for sure. Uh, so, yeah, Wes, why do not why didn't we, I throw it to you? And what's 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 th- exciting about Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel that we haven't already talked about right now?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, just to hit the basics for anybody who hasn't heard already, uh, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel is an upcoming Dungeons & Dragons anthology of adventures. Uh, It's a 224-page hardcover, and in there, we've got... Uh, about a dozen just exciting new adventures for players of level one all the way up to about level 14 that go to places we've never seen in D&D before. So exciting new locales with whole new adventures that uh, you can place in any setting or have be the thresholds of entirely new worlds to explore.
0: Great stuff there. I love that this is kind of a mashup of the... Uh, type of books we've done in the past, which are anthology books, but also a setting book together in one, right? Ajit, was that kind of the idea that you had going from the start?
4: Yeah, I, I think that that's really a great way of putting it. Um, working with Wes uh, on Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, I, I really loved the framework of the domains of Dread, and I worked on uh, one of them, Calicary, and really, really loved doing that. Um, and, and it just made me think, oh, you know, it would be great to see new locations in D and D, exploring cultures we haven't yet. Uh, written by people who are familiar with those cultures, who came from those cultures, or have uh, heritage or ties to those cultures. And and can we build a, a new D and D book based on that? And uh, talking to Wes and talking to Jeremy, um, they were excited by the idea, but uh, you know, kind of guided me and were, were you know gave this really good sense of like, hey, if we're going to get into these new cultures and these new locations the best way to do it is through adventures. Um, I think people gravitate or understand a new thing by the stories we tell around that new place or that new mm. culture. It was really smart. And so I think the best way to kind of think about it is a little bit of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft meets you know maybe *Candlekeep* Keeper or Tales from the Autumn Portal. And um, you, you've got the adventures, they, they're front facing, um, but then afterwards you've got these really lovely gazetteers that explore these locations in more detail. And then offer you know further adventures through those gazetteers, right? You can build out a bunch of adventures, you can build out a whole campaign or worlds um, out of these new locations, and it's it's pretty beautiful and I think unique to to uh, 5e. I don't think we've done something like this before in a D&D book.
2: Yeah, I think what I am really excited about is like the there's so much in here for players and for dungeon masters, but it's really like a great. Toolkit kind of for a dungeon master. Like, what do you both think is the the best way for a dungeon master to to use this book to really like dig into it and like what's the most exciting thing that they're gonna pull from this? Wes, I'm looking at you. I know you can't tell, but I am.
1: Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm always a big fan of monsters. So there's there's just there's tons of new monsters throughout the book, but. Um, aside from that, something that we, we strove to do with, uh, the anthology is really set up a framework for, Hey, if this is an anthology, okay, it's great to have a multitude of adventures, but how do you use them? If you want to play through all of them, uh, how do you get from point A to X to H to so on and so forth? And I know I'm just going to go into some details about the, uh, Radiant Citadel itself since he's the primary writer on it but to to jump to jump ahead a little bit there one of the things that we built into the Radiant Citadel is the concept of this this being a new location that is sort of Uh, a hub that DMs have an incredible amount of control over. Certainly the Dungeons & Dragons multiverse already has locations like Sigil where you can go absolutely everywhere. But as soon as the players decide, "Mm, DM, maybe we're not as interested in your adventure. We'd really like to go to the Abyss. You're going to the Abyss. Um, So the Radiant Citadel is much more set up in a way where DMs can choose where this extraplanar hub, where the Radiant Citadel, the, the city in the ethereal plane that connects to places throughout the, the uh, material plane, where it connects to. So you all of a sudden have a, this new tool at your disposal that goes exactly everywhere you want it to. So whether that's to the locations in this book, whether that's to the Forgotten Realms, whether that's to the next adventure you're planning on running, wherever that might be, it's a custom like world hub that you might see in many video games where you come back, you have your safe place, and then you go forth to exactly the next place that your DM wants to explore with you. That's so cool. Yeah,
4: just rubbing off of that, I think like you know, I love Sigil, grew up with Sigil, playscape, big, big, big fan. Um, but but I also think Sigil's a little like uh, a grocery store. You've got so many options. It's sort of like you're in the aisle and you're looking at your mayonnaise options and there's a million of them and you're like, <laughs> which one do I pick? And you're just a little, you've got paralysis. you got like choice paralysis. You're just overwhelmed by it. And I think a little bit with, with Sigil, there is that chance of being oh my God, there's a million places I can go. I actually don't know where to go from here. And I think that that also ties in with a DM is like, how do you prepare for all of the possibilities of where your players may take a story? Um, the, the beautiful thing about the Radiant Citadel and, and this design was very intentional is there's a limited set, right? There, there's the, the 15 locations that the book gives And then it offers, you know, there's a total of 27, right? So there's a bunch of missing civilizations. The DM can also see it in there kind of secretly and kind of lead new stories and new directions with it. But it does give a limited level of options. And we also kind of um, limited it to the material plane. So the Concord jewels, which are these, the transports between the Radiant Citadel and the different cultures that are in the book, um, can only travel between the material planes. You're not going to end up, in the abyss from it, right? Like that, that storyline okay. is not going to come there unless, you know, maybe like a location that you have has a, a, a connection to the abyss. And one of the adventures, there, one of the locations does have a connection to the far realm and the Feywild. Wild. And so those are possibilities, but that, that's something the that DM can really plan for, kind of build off of. So I, I think there's some really, really robust, um, interesting storyline opportunities
0: with, with cool. what we've presented here. A good way to think about it, too, is like, here's, here's some choice, but it's not that infinite amount of choice, right? Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a menu that you can choose from. Because how many times have you been to a place and you're like, well, what do you want to eat? And you're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> like, at all. Like, that's, but, if, but if you give me five options, I'll pick the one that I want out of it. And that's a little bit what this is uh, going on here, too. Uh, I also love the, the, your descriptions of the Radiant Citadel itself as being uh, a part of the ethereal plane. It feels very different from so many of the other settings that D&D has explored in 5th edition.
4: Yeah, I, I think that the Radiant Citadel is an interesting location and in then it is this, you know, I call, I, I think of it as like the, the city of stories and solace. Um, it has so many things going on that's really interesting. And it juxtaposes very deeply with the ethereal plane around it, right? The ethereal is dark and, and foreboding and maybe not really hospitable. And then the Radiant Citadel is this bastion of sanctuary, of hope, uh, of stories, and, um, that That is really like a DM's toolbox. Uh, because of how it's designed, there are so many different ways, you, as a DM, you can build stories off of it. Um, the Dawn incarnates or the incarnates are um, these gemstone manifestations of the spirits of the land and the people. And they could send you off in adventures. They can send you off on quests. They can also contain the keys of information that will help you move on a different quest. Um, and so you have a reason to even find them and try to talk to them because they're kind of these, these oracles or the, there's these fonts of wisdom that, that can provide you, uh, you know gateways to new new you know, new stepping stones in your adventure if you're, you're kind of like stuck. Um, there's the shield bearers of the citadel. They're kind of a, a rescue and relocation force. And like I can see a bunch of adventurers joining them um, to go help. The villagers in need, right? There's a crisis somewhere and you, you you want to be the hero and the shell bearers are designed to be the hero. Go into trouble hotspots. Um, you know, the they're, they're Court of whispers, which which are is this sort of this, this this location of like where spies and scouts and heralds and you know uh bards come together and share stories and information about what's going on currently in all the different quarters of the work you know in a multiverse. Um, and that's a great place for adventurers to be maybe hired to be a spy. Uh, I always think there's not enough like D and D espionage, and I always think that's really interesting. Um, but also to maybe be a scout and do recon, or maybe they hire people from there. So the, the citadel is really set up with like a million story seat possibilities, and I think I think it's going to be very rich and different from um, other cities that we've already seen in D and D before. And I, I think it'll be great as a as a new location to to kind of sink uh, your teeth into.
2: And so the citadel can be taken into any campaign, right? Like, it's... You can just... Whatever you're doing, wherever, your homebrew, published adventures, whatever, you can still use the the Radiant Citadel in there.
1: Absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah, one of the ways that we designed it was we really wanted to have this place that was always... The concept of, of sort of like home being... Home, but just one step away. So, with so many adventures... You might want to run it, but it's like you're playing in the Forgotten Realms and it's a Dragonlance adventure or you're playing, you know, in a civilized area and it's in the depths of the wilderness. As soon as you start as a DM trying to take all of these great adventures that are out there and mesh them together... The travel time and the lag time between them gets to be significant. So it's like, all right, if I want to go from my underwater adventure to my top of the mountain adventure, I need another adventure that goes right in the middle. <laughs> um, what we developed with the Radiant Citadel and part it is that idea that here is a place that is a segway location. It's a hub location, and it's it's eternally sort of just one step away, which is to an extent, the definition of the ethereal plane and why we put it there. This whole misty area that's out of step with reality and is just sort of like the backstage of so much of what's going on in uh, in the material plane. So you've got the Radiant Citadel as this, this hub, as this as this city, as this magical location, but the ways that you get to and from it are these... Um unique uh, vehicles um these unique transportation methods called the concorde jewels, which can reach out for the orbit these 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 gemstones which orbit the Radiant Citadel, can come into the Citadel, you can board them, and then they uh, relocate magically to other places across the material plane. And where those locations are, they definitely connect to all of the different sites where there are adventures and journeys through the Radiant Citadel, but then they can also connect to other locations. So, you get this terminal sort of feel where, all right, you've reached the Uh, radiant citadel and then from there you can go out wherever you will
0: and soon there'll be (laughs) player characters being tom hanks and just living there forever
2: (laughs) (laughs) plenty of people
1: do it's
0: a whole it's a whole city they've got it's a
1: whole seek amalgam of cultures that are explored there so
4: yeah and and i think i think what's great about that is it also provides a home base right and i i I think a little bit like a video game context, it's like, okay, this is your safe space of where you, you just, you can go back. You're not going to get attacked by the monsters. You're not going to have to be under siege all the time. You can regroup. You can, you can actually have a long rest You do what you need to do uh, and rearm yourself and then go back on your adventure. And you're not too worried about being under siege at the rain. Of Citadel. And that was part of the, the reason it is really the city of, of, of sanctuary and of stories. And that's really pretty powerful. Um, I think players are going to really enjoy kind of just having some downtime and doing more role-play uh, that is not combat-oriented within the Radiance of all. And I think the fun thing about the Concord Jewels are, right, like these are, there's these giant gemstones of, of obsidian or ruby or sapphire, all, all these different, you know, you know, styles. And in the beginning, 15 of them are known, but there are these missing ones, right? 12 of them are missing. Um, I could see a DM, you know, seeding this, like, Obsidian like gemstone uh, hidden under you know the center of a dungeon, and the players finding this thing and being like, "What in the world is this thing?" It's this giant building size, uh, you know, kind of like a it's just this weird uh, weird construct. Going inside of it and learning that you can control it and transport yourself magically into the deep ethereal plane around uh, the Raid citadel, and that could provide a link to from your homebrew. Uh, from any established campaign already, it would be easy to drop this into any possible, uh, you know, campaign currently out there. Um, and, and then and immediately link in the Radiant Citadel to, to what your storyline is right now, your home game right now. Um, That's so good. Yeah.
2: So, Dungeon Masters, you have to do this now because <laughs> we, ha- we gave you extra time. The book is now coming out in July. They have to do it now so that the players are ready when the book comes out. And then you can just start your, pick any one of your adventures from that book and keep going.
0: Yeah, I, I love, love it. it. Um, who, maybe you go into this in the Gazetteer section on the Radiant Citadel, um, but who carved out this space in the interior plane? How did this uh, come about? Yeah, I, I mean, like, that's
4: a, kind of a mystery. The, the Radiant Citadel definitely um, has its, like, legends and lore section. Um, there's some, there's some, um, you know, speculation. Scholars are just still trying to figure it out. They're pretty sure that the Radiant Citadel didn't really originate in the, in the ethereal plane, that, like, it came from somewhere else and was maybe moved there. Mm. There's some speculation that, like, because there's these missing cultures, if all 27 are there and they're all kind of connected to... Rain Citadel, maybe its full power can be activated. Like they think that it can do a lot more than it can currently. Maybe move between planes, um, you know, between worlds. There, there's there's a lot of uh, mystery left there. Um, I, you know, I've written some possibilities, some some speculation. Uh, and I'll kind of, I think maybe leave it to the, to the to the readers to get to the book and kind of dig into that.
0: That's, I mean, that's my motivation already for wanting to play through this is to be like, okay, this is a really convenient area that somehow is connected to all of these worlds. Why? How did it get here? And I think that's mm-hmm. a really great hook uh, for, for Dungeon Masters to use, right? If, you know, maybe not right away, but if they do a few of these adventures, then they can be like, well, wait a second. This seems like, you know, why are there more places like this?
4: Well, how how was it created, right? Like the city existed well before it was rediscovered. It was clearly, has been around for eons. Um, And only about 250 years ago was it uh, rediscovered and refounded and and part of its power reactivated. So there's this sense of a deep history, a a mystery. um, What happened to the original inhabitants? um, How did this city get to the deep ethereal plane. Cause there's just no way this thing could originally have been there. Like it's just too right. weird and it doesn't fit into the rest of its surroundings. Um, and in any, in many ways it actually pushes against its surroundings. The, the auroral diamond, which is this giant like diamond that, you know, cuts through the center of the, the city, um, you know, radiates this light that, that, that kind of keeps like, um, you know, evil undead and, and face fighters and all of the, the ickiness of like the, um, Ethereal plane at bay. So it, the city is almost, I wouldn't say at war, but it's it's got this weird um oppositional force with the rest of the deep ethereal plane. Right. And I think that's fun, but that's also like there's a lot of mystery there. And so I think DM's gonna have a field day. I I'm definitely seed it with hey, here's some ways you can go with this, and here's you know, here's a storyline that you can definitely play through if you want to explore this more. But um
0: it, it, it I think you they have a long campaign. Some D and D players, obviously, many who have uh, been playing, uh, might might know this already. But we've mentioned the ethereal plane a couple of times. It's some of its natures, but maybe Wes, you can give kind of an overview of what that means in the D D cosmology, especially since we have Spelljammer coming hot on the heels of this later this uh, summer, which deals with the astral plane, which is similar but very different uh, oh. than the ethereal plane, and what makes them two and they can be easily confused. So, yeah, tell us a little bit more about what the ethereal plane actually is.
1: Yeah, so one of uh one of the exciting things about the ethereal plane is it's sort of this um it's almost like a mysterious proto realm. There's like there it, it's a realm of mists and ghosts and fog. It's like forever one step away from everything that you know from the material plane and it's also the the place where if you go far enough away from like the established known physical boundaries of the material plane you start drifting through the this area of fog into the depths of the the ethereal plane where it's just this vast misty um endless realm this is where you start reaching out towards like the the shadow fell and like Ravenloft. And That's whatnot. what I was
0: going to ask, right? So the mists of the, of the ethereal plane are similar in nature to the mists of Ravenloft. Similar?
1: Mark? Who could say? Question <laughs> mark. Definitely ghosts and creepiness and so on and so forth. Got it. Um, but as this is this realm that um is sort of this mysterious backstage behind everything that's in the uh, the material plane it's also just one step away from everything. Um like when you have creatures that are turning ethereal or whatever, like they're they're getting a taste of what's going on with the ethereal plane there. So this is a location that even though it is traditionally this place of just weirdness and spookiness, it's also um just like a, a vast empty um Place of possibilities. Uh, so when we wanted to start creating a new location that was sort of everywhere and nowhere at the same time, the ethereal plane was a perfect choice for it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. <sighs> now that it makes all the stuff that we just were talking about about the radiant citadel it's so much yeah. more, you know, uh, in, in sharp relief. Because you're like in this weird limbo area. Here is this place that has been carved out with these uh, with these jewels. Why? What's there while you're doing? What that. Have, Where
2: did it come from? Where are the original inhabitants? I'm still stuck on that.
0: Yeah, oh, 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 and, and what, what was the what?
4: mythical creature that that like the city's carved out? I I, I don't think I described it. Like the, the 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 radiant citadel is was carved out of the fossil of this jar. Penguin, like mythical creature that no longer is around, right? They, it, it, whatever mm. it was, it is gone. It is extinct, or they've never found another one of its type again. And space the whale city, <laughs> <laughs> the a little city tiny is, penguin. <laughs> so, so the entire city is carved out of this fossil, and um, I think of it, you know, the architecture a little bit like Indian rock cut architecture. Mm. i would seen a lot of it in my travels in India. Uh, really amazed by it. Uh, the craftsmanship, craftsmanship, is is incredible and uh, awe-inspiring um, to build uh, buildings and rooms and, and maybe an entire city out of it. Um, and so it's it's carved out of this fossil, and uh, and this fossil is surrounding this giant diamond, this massive, incredibly giant diamond shard. Um, And so it's a pretty awe-inspiring sight to see from afar, especially when the Concord Jewels, all 15 of them are orbiting it. You know, you've got these different colors, you know, ruby or sapphire and emerald and, um, you know, uh, yellow, you know, topaz and so on. Uh, I can see like, you know, adventurers fighting through the Deep Ethereal Plane and, and losing all hope and being overwhelmed and being like, oh, we are lost. And we are we are doomed. And then seeing this sight um, in a distance, and the auroral diamond kind of beckoning to them, and this this, this beautiful light in the distance
0: calling them in. Is um, it a mirage? Is it even real? What is this <laughs> yeah, thing? And like they famous. find this it's this So, so wild place. Are yeah. But
4: like, who are the original inhabitants? What was yes. that creature? What, why is it extinct? Um, and I think the other thing about the city is that it's very green. I, I envisioned it in solar punk kind of so it's a lot of it's just environmentally beautiful, um, full of gardens and and uh, farms and, and trees and vegetation. So it's very, very beautiful um and kind of life coming out of you know death or, or, or the end of one creature is the beginning of something new. Um and very different from the rest of the deep ethereal plane.
0: That's D. If mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that word solar punk, I love that term. Uh, it's become my new favorite over the last few months uh, in, in yeah. discussing this, but also just, you know, uh, the backdrop of our own current world and society can sometimes be, oh, you're doing the grimdark phase. Okay, great. Uh, so then here we are having a uh, a more positive, bright future slash fantasy being uh, exhibited here in the Radiant Citadel. What, is, what does solar punk mean to you? Is that is that it?
4: Yeah, I, I think of solar punk, and it, it maybe Wes has a different thought on this, but I think of solarpunk as um it isn't saying the problems or there is no problems. It's saying that we've figured out a way to like to overcome these problems, or there is a pathway forward to overcoming these problems. And it does involve um, you know, hope and it it, it involves collective action. It also involves um coming to to terms, equitable terms with our environment and our surroundings and the land we live on. And um you know, finding new ways to uh, surpass challenges that force us into, you know, a radically different frame of thought. Um, a lot of our thought is like, okay, let's consume more. And somehow through this consumption, we will, we will defeat the thing that these problems in front of us. And it's like, well, we're really consuming all of our resources. And maybe, maybe that isn't the pathway forward. Um, and it is oppositional to Grimdark, which is, you know, Grimdark says, like, there is no hope and we're just going to, you know, maybe the toughest of us will survive through this darkness and, and and we'll just have to, you know, grit our teeth and find our way through and fight against the darkness. and But the darkness is still going to win at the end. And Solarpunk Punk says, you know, actually there is hope. Um, there is a way forward and we can find it, but we have to work together um, and we have to come to terms with with the world we live in. And we have to come to peace with the world we live in. And we have to offer new solutions to these problems that are you know, just a little smarter and force us to think a little harder. Um, and and it, it's, a, it's a sort of a celebration. Um, and I love it. And I, I think that the Radio digital is very much still upon. They, they are a group of people have, that have come forward collectively to solve their problems. And they have solved a bunch of them. And that doesn't mean they don't solve problems. They're still working through those problems. But um, it is a city that kind of embraces, um, you know, a holistic approach to their environment and, and a, and a um, collaborative effort towards uh, the collective challenges. And
1: part of the reason that we want to explore this as well is is to provide an option to so many um, classic fantasy settings and like fantasy metropoli that you've seen out there. Like... I think we've all seen plenty of locations that are the wretched hives of scum and villainy. Like, we could probably collectively rattle off a hundred of them. Um, and in D&D, but also, like, across media and whatnot. So we wanted the Radiant Citadel to feel different from certainly, like, other planar metropolis like Sigil, but also, like, from other familiar D&D settings like Baldur's Gate or Waterdeep. If you want to go to a place and you want to have backstabbing and intrigue and like these deep mysteries and whatnot we have places for that and certainly you could explore that in the radiant citadel but we also wanted to establish a place where maybe the de facto state of the place is not leading you toward oh you've been mugged or you've (laughs) been jumped or the leader of the city is actually a A whatever
0: yeah yeah whatever yeah that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, and that and that is uh, a good dovetail into uh, you know Ajit, your work not necessarily through gaming, but lots of gaming credits. But you also uh, do a lot of great stuff that is embodiment of what we're talking about here, right?
4: Yeah, I, my full-time job is uh, director of operations of the Shanti Bhavan Insurance Project, which is um, an educational and poverty alleviation project program uh, nonprofit based in India. Uh, though we've got a team in the U.S. and we've got chapters across the world, you know, Canada, UK, um, Italy, uh, Germany, and so we're kind of look we're, we're looking at the holistic problem and kind of trying to find you know uh, ultimate solutions to, to uh, you know to poverty and um, to these educational gaps. And I think my work in in Shanti Development has informed my work in games. You can see pieces of me certainly in my writing and the way I approach it. The Radiant Citadel is definitely influenced by my my full time job, and and vice versa. I, I've used role play in my full time job to help kids. Um, not so much in the classroom because I, you know, there's some people who think that like role play in the classroom is going to work. I'm 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 kind of iffy on that, uh, but I do think role play can create empathy for kids. It um, can teach them, um, you know. You know, for let me give you an example. Like our, our young men in India um, come from, you know, a very patriarchal um you know sub-society in the villages and or the in the slums. And they will see a lot of things happen to their, their mothers and their sisters, but sometimes they're they're, they're 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 not really absorbing it. And so we force them to like, or we make them or we work with them to like role play um how their mothers might feel about a certain situation, how their sisters might feel um, trying to go to school or, you know, some of these lived experiences. And I think in role play, when they put themselves in the position of their their female, like, relatives, it opens certain doors with them. They're like, oh my God, yeah, this is really hard. And I hadn't thought about it like this. Like, I'd seen this thing, but I didn't realize what it is to to live this. And so role play has been a great tool. And I, I have had this, amazing it seems like two very different parts of my life but these two parts have really worked together nicely
2: yeah and I think empathy is one of those skills that is it's very hard to teach and so role play is definitely maybe the best tool out there to to help you know to teach kids and adults really um, how to be more empathetic but there's something also about this book because we are having the opportunity to experience these different cultures and the kind of you know this safe space, but also that is another travel is a wonderful way to um, learn empathy as well. And you're kind of giving that here to to the players and the dungeon masters. Is that there's four, fourteen adventures in here?
4: Yeah, there's, there's thirteen adventures that ta- take us to. Um... With 15 or 16 locations when you include the the Radiant
2: Citadel itself. Yeah. So, I mean, right there, like that's, what a great tool that is as well. I mean, that's just, that's just a byproduct to all of the wonderful adventure you're about to have here. But yeah, like you're going to get to experience all of these um, other people's lived experiences, which have certainly influenced the stories that they wrote as well. I think that's really powerful.
4: Yeah, I, I think so too. I think what you will have a chance is, a lot of the writers talk about like seeing their their grandmother, or their cousin, or their sister in it, in the book, and um, I think in that you're getting a chance to explore another person's culture through their eyes, and it's kind of like visiting another place and being taken around by the locals rather than just being yeah. like on a tour bus and just be like oh, I'm gonna visit, but actually no, these stories are like the locals have invited you into your home into their home. Um, you know, Akram Sangar, justice is like, you know, making tea for you <laughs> and uh kind of taking you through his Persian cuisine that he loves to talk about on Twitter all the time. You know, you're you're really actually getting, you know, a piece of their lives in their stories, in their locations, and you're being invited into those cultures by the locals and kind of being given a chance to explore those cultures by the locals. And I,
0: I think that is really something that's genuinely beautiful and unique about this book.
2: Yeah. So, what was
0: it like uh, assembling that, that 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 group, right? Like, I mean, I think you had we were talking about the genesis of this idea and where it all came about, but then you got to be like, all right, how do we how do we execute on this? How do we get these people together to tell those stories? Because it's not always easy, right? Wes, to do that. <laughs> yeah,
4: well, Wes can also speak to this because we, I think the thing I'm going to talk about is something that we were both at, mm-hmm. which was Big Bad Con 2019. Um, I organized uh, the first uh, industry mixer, industry, um, you know, meet and greet for tabletop uh, ever done uh, for POCs. And maybe in terms of a formal sense, the first one ever done, period. You know, there's a lot of like, Hey, like, show up, show up, and have some cocktails at the bar. But this doesn't really feel like you're like, okay, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll meet somebody cool, or maybe I'm just going to be like, I'm going to be drunk at the end of the night, you know? And maybe <laughs> not, but, but but you don't know what the what the outcomes are.
0: Um, but this was this the thesis statement of the gathering was was <laughs> yes, to get POCs together.
4: That's exactly it. and we 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 invited. We had a lot. Uh, the majority of the people were POCs, but there were a lot of industry veterans like Wes. And, and both sides filled out before the attendees filled out. Um, a survey, kind of like, what are they looking for? And what are they trying to get out of this? Um, w- Wes has been an incredible mentor to several POCs, um, some who've written on this book. Um, and that was something he was willing to offer uh, when he attended. And what we discovered is, I think we still need, we could do the numbers on this, but I, I'm pretty sure about 50% of the writers either were physically in attendance at that, that meet and greet, Or um, gave us a recommendation to somebody that ended up writing on the book, right? And so Justice was not uh, in attendance, but he was recommended by Serena, um, and same with Mario, and so on and so forth. And so it was a really powerful, you know, event. So many people got jobs out of that event, and so many people got contracts or freelance gigs or, you know, writing gigs like this. And, um, you know, Wes, it would be great, you know, maybe you can give your own perspective, but that's... That's part of how we assemble this team was that event was was sort of a genesis moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it was an incredible night, definitely. Got to meet a fantastic number of folks and just hearing about the number of contacts that got made uh, during that event, really incredible. Um, and definitely when we, Ajit and I started getting together and talking about this book and figuring out who we wanted to be involved, one of the first places that we went to is like, who do we know who is doing this work already, who have the experiences that we want to highlight, who are living in places that, you know, deserve the exposure to just like have these stories, um have so much of the, these cultures, these experiences uh, in these different parts of the world highlighted through these fantasy adventures what opportunities do we have in, in our collective Rolodex? And that led from, you know, one domino to the next with folks that we knew or folks who were one or two steps removed. And in some cases, folks that were more aspirational and like we might know them through a friend or whatever have you, but then like folks recommended others to us. So we cast our net quite wide. Um, And At the end of the day, we came up with a really phenomenal group of authors on this. you know, we could go on and on about the incredible writers on on this, like their unique experiences, where they live. Uh, we've got writers. like We've got authors. We've got educators. We've got MIT professors. We've got streamers. We've got like... A
2: cookbook author. Yeah. One, of my, yeah. one of my favorite cookbooks, too. Oh,
1: really? <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> Terry's fantastic. Known yeah. her
4: for, for 10 years and, and very talented. Yeah, but we, we just we end up getting a real collection and part of it was out of, out of the meet and greet. Um, and by, part of it was also just like kind of keeping our, you know, a year to, to the community and, and casting that net wide. Um, and we've, we, you know, uh, we just, we were very, very lucky to have such a great assembled
1: group uh, together. That's and great. one of the lovely things that comes out of all of that is all of that's reflected in in the adventures throughout this. Like, even, even Terry being a cookbook author, you can see how lovingly some of the descriptions of food are presented <laughs> there. Um, Like, food is definitely a thing that comes up again and again throughout the book. But, you know, we've got more comic writers like Serena Marie, who wrote Salted Legacy. And this is, like, Salted Legacy is one of the, it starts off the book, it's our level one adventure, but it's also just, one of the funniest, just most out there, wahoo adventures, what there is, uh, and it's a blast. So it's it's great to see everybody bringing their experiences, their passions, their um, their homes uh, to these stories. Yeah.
0: What I love about the story about this 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 meet and greet at Big Bad Con is that it. I've been reading um, uh, Game Wizards uh, by John Peterson, the kind of genesis of how. Dungeons & Dragons began from basically Gen Con. Like how this one event had 50 people there and then everyone shared ideas and they started to create what would become Dungeons & Dragons based on all the connections made at those wargaming events. Um and this is basically this, uh, a very similar story, right? Like everybody just came together. They all had uh, uh, ideas and inspirations and different things from different areas. And then uh, it, from that sprung uh, something that had never been seen in the world before, right? And so it's, it's this great idea of how D&D is a, is a community game. It is something that is built from the people who play it uh, and, and, and who want to uh, share these stories with the world. And I just, I just love that kind of echoing of things here.
4: Yeah. I think one of, so one of the attendees for for the the meet and greet was the founder of Wizards of the Coast, Peter Atkinson. And and he and I had dinner afterwards and he said, you know, I feel like the next big thing is going to come out of that room. Uh, He he was really floored. He was, he was very emotionally moved by that. And he hired a bunch of people for, for one of the properties he's working on right now from that room. And he's, he's talked to me many times afterwards. Um, But He's a man who's got an eye for the next big thing. Uh, so he
0: That's definitely,
4: definitely knows what he's talking about. He, and he said, you know, there was something really pretty powerful and magical that came out of that room. And it really moved him. Yeah. This book doesn't exist without that room, right? The, the At least the people on it. Um, and so something big has already come, in, uh, come out of that room. Something historic and beautiful. So, yeah. So
2: uh, last week we talked to Felice Kwan and uh, Justice Armand. And one of the things that really stood out to me was their relationship and how like th- like they it was like pure joy at seeing each other again and like catching up and like talking to each other and just singing each other's praises and also th- that relationship was like a just a small subsection of like what I the vibe I got from like all of the writers working together that they all became such big fans of each other and they all kind of like helped each other. There was obviously people who have, with different levels of experience in writing, you know, a TRPG adventure. So they there was a lot of helpfulness, but it was like really embodied the spirit of D and D and like what a D and D party is and what a D and what it feels like. Um, but I was just curious if like that was just something that happened organically or if there were ways that you kind of fostered this. This relationship building? Because I think some, some of them didn't
4: know each other, right? Yeah, m- most of them didn't know each other beforehand. And um, I, I think it 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 became organic over time, but it was intentional design. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you actually do have to put work into a designing something that supports um, that kind of collaboration. It's sort of like a DD party. You get mm-hmm. a bunch of people and you don't do, you know, session zero. And you don't, you know, have shared expectations and you you don't build out, uh, have a conversation between the players, that party can dissolve very quickly and everything can fall apart and the whole story can fall apart. Similarly, I would say that we had sort of a session zero and we had a bunch of different systems that we built out um, to support continued collaboration and conversation with each other and and to like riff off of each other's expertise, right? So F- Felice Kwan is, is a brilliant narrative director in video games. I, I'm a huge fan of her work in, in Life is Strange, but she, she just knows her stuff, but is also very different from D&D and, and Justice had been working in d d for a long time. So they have different skill sets that they can share with each other and, and riff off of each other and add to each other, inspire each other. And that happened the, way, the whole way through. And we built out a system across multiple months where there were many places where they were having conversations. They were almost required to have these conversations. And the requirement kind of gave way uh, to... Optional, but once they kind of bought into these conversations and they they did seek each other way well out of anything that Wes and I had designed, right? They were starting to do co-writing sessions together and organizing together, and that was really beautiful and powerful. And then they continue to be in communication with each other to this day um, through emails and chains like that. And they they, do, they they do rely on each other. They they help each other. They give each other jobs and opportunities. It, there was something very magical about making this book together, and I think we all felt like we were in a a journey together. Uh, in, in, <laughs> a in journey the, to the Radiant spot. Citadel <laughs> together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would love to hear if Wes has got a different perspective on this or, you know, more to add, but that, that's that's my feeling on it.
1: No, absolutely. And, like, everybody was involved in... Multiple stages of the process, not this was not a situation where it's like, all right, here's your assignment, please go to your writer's garret and don't come out <laughs> till it's done um, <laughs> like the amount of brainstorming that were happening on online forums, the amount of feedback folks were giving each other, really constructive criticism throughout the entire time, the number of times the writers were going to each other and being like, oh, I hadn't, did you mean it like this? Or did you want to explore more of this? Or ooh, maybe you want to tweak it like this? Really fantastic. And like, more than we could have uh, dreamed of and asked for, like folks were so invested in the project, but then also when we got into more of the art phase on this, our art directors on the book, Emmy Tanji and Kate Irwin were fantastic with, um, soliciting feedback, really wanting to make sure that they were pairing folks with like fantastic artists that were capturing these stories, um, that the writers were bringing. So like the writers put together like elaborate mood boards of like, hey, yeah. maybe you don't know what like this piece of clothing is or what authentic garb is from the place I'm describing. So they provided a ton of resources that throughout the book, you're going to see that this doesn't look like anything else. Yeah. Um, and it really came out of that collaboration. The one other thing that I want to note on this is that from the time the book releases it's t- two years yeah. since we started on yeah. this project. Wow. Like we got to start like June, our June. books. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Exactly. Like our books typically have a lengthy process to this, but we really wanted to make sure that Radiant Citadel nailed it. We knew that we were going to be working with a ton of uh, uh artists and writers that we had never worked with before. And we wanted to give the time to build up the framework to do all of this right. So the project got kicked off quite early. And then with everything's going as it did, it's going to be, you know, not to the day, but very close to like, Oh, it's been two years that these writers have been working together, that Ajit and I have been working together. And that this has been going from inception to like, oh, wow, it's finally a thing.
0: Yeah. yeah, and then three years since the the meet and greet at, at Big Bad Con, too. Absolutely. So that's, that's right. Tendrils yeah. are even going back that far.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been amazing. I, I think one thing that I, felt, I believe all of us felt while we were working on this is we were working on a very special book and we were working on something bigger than each of us as individuals. Like the, the, the summer is greater, you know, than, than the individual parts that went into it. Um, and and I, I think that that's, that sense of, you know, it's going to sound a little cheesy, but the sense of destiny that we we felt that this book um, spoke to was pretty powerful. And there was both excitement, but also, you know, nervousness and, and you know, the fears that come with working on something so special and so meaningful, so personal to so many of us uh, was powerful. And so we all felt like we, were, we had to bond together and be together in making this book. Um, and we had to take this, um, you know, to, to, to support each other each step of the way. And it was really great. And I, I feel the same way about Wes, you know, working with him as my co-lead has been one great, one of my greatest honors of my life. It's, it's just, it's genuinely been a pretty powerful um, time period with him. Um, incredibly supportive, uh, you know, his mastery of an understanding of games and, and, and the structure of how you put together a book, uh, you know, <laughs> vastly uh, uh, weighs mine, Um, and so he was able to answer all of my questions where I wasn't sure, uh, provide feedback, guidance, uh, expertise, and then I I would come in from a different, you know, from a different angle. I would bring my professional experience as running teams and leadership over international borders and um, executing at a high level of uh, some really complex challenges, Uh, and together, I think we were able to to do something special together, even
1: this project. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Um, and it, it, with so many of these projects, um, you know, you, you get to putting together like collections of word files or ideas. And like at some point, you've got everything arrayed in front of you. And it's sort of like, how could this ever be anything? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it, so you just keep at it and keep at it. And then at some point it all just gels. And I think throughout this whole project, like, you know, Ajit and I had tons of conversations where it was just like, is this happening? Like, are we, are we getting there? Are we doing what we need to do? Uh, there's always all of those uncertainties. Um, and, uh, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better partner in the whole thing. Cause Uh-oh. like we talk through everything on it. Like, I feel like every step of the way we were in sync. And then there was just that day where it's just like, "Bing," And it's just like, Oh, Oh, it's a book now. How did Uh-oh. this happen? <laughs>
0: That's really sweet. I love it that. Is. But I keep hearing from hearing from all the writers, as well as from you two talking just now, and the emotions bubbling up. Like, it I've worked on dozens of creative projects over the course of my life, right? Like, I've done lots of shows, I've done lots of books, I've done lots of things. They're not all this way, right? Like, ev- not every single one is like this. It's you know, it's it's maybe one in ten, maybe you know, maybe even higher. You know, if we're lucky, it's 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 one in five. Um, But there is something about that bonding moment where you're like, okay, everybody is firing on all cylinders. We're all in this together. We actually genuinely like the people that we're working with. We want to support them. We want to bring them all together and lift them up. Uh, And so yeah, just the more I hear about this, it feels like this was one of those kind of uh, uh, you know, destined projects like you mentioned, Ajit. Yeah,
4: yeah, I think there's a lot of luck and we're very, very fortunate to have the kind of team and, and the people working on it and um, all of that magic came together to make a pretty extraordinary book. I think it's going to, you know, you know, last the test of time. Um, yeah, I've worked on a lot of creative projects, too. And I, I think one of the one of the fortunate things of my role is that, like, I can turn down a lot of projects. This is not my full time job. So I get to pick and choose. And so I don't have any like creative projects that I like, actively dislike or say, like, oh, that was terrible or, or whatever. But this this is something truly unique in in a career of mine that is has had a lot of enjoyable projects. This kind of stands out uh and is it's magnificent and it's powerful and and it moves me still to even think about it.
0: So yeah. I can't wait, for, I can't for, wait for, for people to dig into it. That's what yeah. I was just gonna say. Like hopefully that transfers and we'll have this amount of uh fun uh around the table for so many people. I hope so too. Yeah. Well I, I feel like that's that's a good ending I point. Know,
2: I'm like, <laughs> no, I, you can't I can't say follow
3: that.
0: so tell us about the monsters no I'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) they've got all the numbers
1: every number all the colors all the hit points they're all there (laughs) (laughs) that's good
0: glad there's hit points there (laughs) Well, you two are wonderful. It is uh, always uh, just cheerful, just hearing about this project and getting people excited about it. It's very easy. I can see the excitement bubbling up uh, from you know the the TRPG circles on Twitter, on various places around the internet. Like people are just really, really uh, in anticipation for for playing through these, and you know they're, they're great stories. they everybody needs these one shots to be able to kind of play them. I have a buddy coming this. Uh, this week, and I think I'm going to run Salted Legacy for him because I'm like, oh, it's fun. perfect. It's a first level adventure. Yeah. It's comic. It's you know, I've got the cobalt minis that I've been sorting behind me. We're good yeah. to go. That I'm sounds excited. Great. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, you guys are awesome, uh, you Aud- are? uh well, we'll throw it to you first. Uh, where can people find out more about your projects, what you're doing, uh, and uh, you know, maybe give you a shout out sure. somewhere.
4: Yeah, I think Twitter is probably where I'm most active, for good or for bad. Um, so you can find me at uh, AjitGeorgeSB George at uh, on Twitter.
0: Sounds good. I need to uh, have a lighthearted, fun argument with you about season three of Stranger Things. I actually season my, four. No, I know. Um, but you said three, You didn't oh. like season three? Yeah, and you couldn't yeah. watch it. I oh, did watch season it's three. It's my so favorite. Great. I
4: would love. I would love to hear your take on it. Yeah, it's a, my wife was like ah, the Russian plot, not good. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm open. I'm open to being dissuaded
0: or, or convinced that I should go watch the season four.
1: Nice. But All I am right. digging season four.
0: It uh, is It I, is really fun. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Uh, Wes, what about you? Where can people find out and uh, give you some high fives?
1: Um, you can find me on on Twitter is probably where I'm most least active. Um, <laughs> uh, that's at F. Wes Schneider. Uh, and you'll also probably hear more from me here in the coming months because it turns out we've got lots more D&D on the way later in the year.
2: Yay.
0: Has to do with a specific Lance. <laughs> 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 and it's not- Lance
2: Armstrong? Like- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> We're collaborating with him now.
0: He, he's a waiter on a cruise ship. Lance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. So much fun. Uh, thank you both for, for taking the time out and being here.
2: Thank you. Thank
0: you, Greg. Thank you, Shelly. This is a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: Totally appreciate right. it, guys.
0: Two amazing people leading a team of amazing people, right?
2: And an amazing, amazing book cannot wait. I'm just going to crack it open and right? just see wherever I land is where I'll be visiting.
0: I'll just give it a sniff and be like, hmm, I can smell the food. That was the thing that we didn't get to delve too much in. But like if the food theme throughout no. all of these adventures is very much mouthwatering to me.
2: I fully support that. Food we in D&D. A-
0: Let's make a cookbook, like a, a you know, a, a digital giveaway cookbook from all um, the authors afterwards. darn Oh, it. yeah.
2: Like what would be, what recipe would inspire them? Or right? you should, as a, you know, when your party comes over to play, put together a little menu. A little Have you
0: ever done that before? You as what? a hostess and a dungeon master,
2: you would huh? love that. Yeah. When I DM'd, you know, for the children's, I did put out a lot of candy.
0: <laughs> wow. That's that's half the fun right there. So But if your char- if their characters go to a fancy ball or a wedding or a party or even a it tavern. That would be fun. You can like serve the actual thing that their their characters are it's, eating.
2: It's like food LARPing.
0: It's, <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> like food LARPing and/or those like uh dinner mystery party type things. Yes. That be like, oh do.
2: okay, welcome to the um, yawning Portal. The Yawning Portal. And today's <laughs> special is black bean burgers. I don't know. I,
0: think I mess- that's what you had for lunch. <laughs> is it yes, black it bean is, burgers? actually. <laughs> I knew it.
2: <laughs> uh, yes, uh. it is. With a side of salt and vinegar, pop
0: chips. Mmm, tasty.
2: Yeah. Ugh, yeah.
0: I had leftovers. so no. Leftover potato salad and cucumber salad.
2: Oh, so I had like many medley, salads. yeah, yeah, multi salad all.
0: That's my diet. Have mul- not just <laughs> one salad. Have two salads.
2: All with that, all with lots of mayonnaise
0: too. That's yes, exactly
2: the <laughs> <laughs> good kind of salads. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's how you'll shed those COVID pounds.
2: Oh yeah, mayonnaise
0: based salads and there potatoes. You go. There you go. Anywho, uh, that's what they're serving at the uh, adventure uh, that I'm going to run for my buddy tonight, I've decided. Uh, So you all should follow everything that's going on with D&D at DungeonsAndDragons.com. Hey, maybe you should even go to D&D Beyond and make your first character and make all that happen. We got to put that in here. Um, Shelly, how can people find out about you and what you're doing?
2: Well, you can just follow me on Shelly, or at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. What if Shelly Moo was its own social media platform?
0: <laughs> follow me on
2: Shelly Moo. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, right. we'll, we'll get on <laughs> yeah. that social media platform that has one person on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter. Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And we need to figure out what's going on with Junkie Two-Shoes.
2: Oh, I don't know about this.
0: So, we left with the huge, gargantuan doppelganger, had darkness cast on it from your Wand of Wonder. It was disoriented, and then Balthazar the Gnome led an attack, uh, coordinated with all of the members of, well, those on Flying On Griffins of the Loyal Order of Magists and Protectors, shoots at the thing, it is about to fall. It is falling in a trajectory. It looks like it's going to fall directly yeah. on the cart of hay in which Daryl is unconscious upon. <laughs> and you called out to Balthazar,
1: feather fall. Yep.
0: And he's swooping down with his griffin to see if he can do anything to solve it. What do you want to do? Do you want me to resolve that first or do you have any last-ditch efforts uh, to try and do something? This is all happening in split second. Oh.
2: I'm going to pull out the Wand of Wonder again. Can I? You're going
0: to pull out the Wand of Wonder again? <laughs> yes, do it.
1: Do it. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited in to roll more a, dice. In a panic. <laughs> what uh, uh,
0: thing happens.
2: Oh, why did I pull these out? Okay, so I need this one and uh, this one. Okay, ready? Ready. Uh, 78.
0: <gasps> 78 is <laughs> Where are you oh, pointing it? At?
2: at the doppelganger.
0: At the doppelganger? Yeah. Okay. The yeah. Fireball. Oh! <laughs> it is a fireball. Roll me a some damage. You get to cast it uh at third level, so it is 8d6 fire damage. 8d6? Uh-huh.
2: Goodness gracious. I think I'm going to actually use these D&D Beyond dice.
0: All right. And because you're saying you're pointing it at the doppelganger. Eight? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Should I randomize what part of the body you're, you're aiming at or do you yeah. want to choose? No, you
2: can randomize it. Okay,
0: I'm going to randomize it. I'll do... I'm going to do a D8. One is near the head and eight is near its feet.
2: Are you freaking kidding me? I did 27 damage.
0: 27 damage? On its foot! I can roll the one! Ah! On its foot! <laughs> Uh, all right, so you, you're like, you like, uh, let me describe this one more time. The entire huge gargantuan <laughs> doppelganger is falling slowly directly onto your uh, brother's cart. Balthazar is swooping in with a griffin. You take out the wand of one and point it at, you know, all in a tizzy, and it shoots a fireball directly at the feet of this creature, and it does 27 amounts of damage. So a huge fireball erupts. Um, but it is, I don't think this will affect too much of the trajectory here. It still no. is falling. Um, and I'm going to make a roll. I hope I didn't catch the town on fire. Yeah, there is now more fires going uh, at ground level here now. Um, and Balthazar Uh-oh. swoops down. And uh, there's just a puff of dust and cloud and smoke, as well as all the fire. The, the the heftiness of this huge doppelganger is just thudding. You almost feel it underneath your body uh, uh, shake a little bit as this disaster happens. You don't What's, see anything.
2: What do you mean I don't see anything?
0: It's dusty and cloudy and still. And we'll pick it up next time.
2: Oh, come on! Oh. Well, Good. <laughs> I hope that it's so dusty and cloudy that Balthazar didn't see that that fireball came from me. (laughs) Because Drunky's gonna like turn around and be like, "Oh my god, who did that?"
0: That's gonna have to be a deception check there. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you advantage for vocal fry. Okay.
1: What? What
2: Like, did
0: that? What?